It is a very, very sad thing when someone is sent to jail for a crime that they did not commit. Over the years, many people have been freed from death row because they found out before they put them to death or they were in jail for the rest of their life that they, in fact, were innocent. And sadly, we have no idea, hard to know, how many innocent people have been executed in the United States over the years who were actually innocent. In the case of Jesus, not only was he innocent, but he was 100% perfect, yet Jesus was executed on the cross. And today in our passage, a criminal goes free, uh, but this was not just a simple misjudgment, it was all the plan of God. And the title of our message today is, The Innocent Dies and the Guilty Goes Free. Well, let's uh, figure out where we are. It's Good Friday morning in our passage. It's probably about 6 a.m., the middle of the night. Jewish trial uh, for blasphemy is over. And we saw last time that the religious leaders have taken Jesus to uh, Rome, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, to be executed. By the way, that was not something they were supposed to do. The Jews hated the Romans, and they were not supposed to turn one of their own over uh, to the Romans themselves. But you remember that the Romans could only execute the death penalty. The Jews could not. Uh, The religious leaders will change the, the charges and falsify the charges. It's no longer it's going to be blasphemy against God. Now it's going to be that Jesus is against Caesar and the Roman Empire. For those of you who love to read the Bible... And I hope most of you do. The Gospel of John has a lot more of the interactions between Pontius Pilate and Jesus on this. And Luke includes in his Gospel how Pontius Pilate tries to pass the buck by sending him over to King Herod uh, because that's where Jesus is from, his territory. The characters in today's study are many. We have the corrupt religious leaders, the cowardly governor, Pontius Pilate, the crowd, who's the general people, uh, the crook, uh, uh, Barabbas, and the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke's gospel gives us a real insight as to what the, what the charges were that they brought to uh, the Roman governor against Jesus. If he said, oh, he says he's God, he would be like, I don't really care about your dumb religion. I mean, the Romans were really, if you practice your religion, you could do whatever you want. So they had to bring a charge of sedition, that he was against the Roman Empire, and Jerusalem was the hotbed of sedition of those who were against the Roman Empire. So Luke tells us in Luke 23, 2, And they began to accuse him, they began to accuse Jesus, and they're telling Pilate, saying, uh, number one, we found this fellow perverting the nation. Some people say, some versions say he's misleading the nation. And, number two, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Well, that's an outright lie. We saw that earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. And saying that he himself is Christ, or Messiah, a king. That's the biggie. That's the one that Pontius Pilate has to enforce. If you come around and you say that you're the king, that means Caesar is not the king, and that is punishable by death. And so the religious leaders know, as we've been saying, that Pontius Pilate has the power to give Jesus the death penalty, but the Romans were reasonably fair, and that was after he would hear the facts of the case. Pontius Pilate is what we call in between a rock and a hard place. Uh, He would have to answer to Emperor Tiberius. 
Now, you Star Trek fans, come back for a second. You know James Tiberius Kirk. Some people, what's the T stand for? That's what it stands for. It's a powerful middle name. And so uh, he would have to answer to Emperor Tiberius if he was too lenient with somebody who was against the Roman Empire or he was too harsh. And we already said that we know that that, uh, Pontius Pilate has been in some hot water uh, already. And so he says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, he doesn't care about their religion. He's asking in a political sense. In other words, are you leading a rebellion against Caesar? But Jesus, you know, he, he puts the question, he's going to put the question right back at him. Okay, look at verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. Literally, Jesus says, hey, the description's yours. We might say, you said it, not me, buddy. And so Jesus puts the question right back on Pontius Pilate, and it's time for Pilate to figure out what the question really means. John helps us in his gospel in John 18. Jesus makes it clear that the nature of his kingship uh, what the nature of his kingship is, and that he doesn't want to fight the Roman Empire. John eighteen thirty four through 36. Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for this, for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? So he's kind of playing with Pilate. Oh, did you figure it out? Like, did you get it, or did you hear it from somewhere? Where did you hear it from? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered. Notice Jesus doesn't answer the question of what you've done. You don't have to answer every question everybody asks you. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. So Jesus is the king of the Jews, but not in the way Pontius Pilate thinks. And again, the the charges have changed from the Son of God to being the king of the Jews. Verse 12, and while he was being accused, the idea is that the religious leaders are continuously accusing him uh, in front of Pilate uh, by the chief priests and the elders. He, Jesus, answered nothing. And Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? I mean, he's just sitting there like this chaos. These these religious leaders are yelling at him. Pilate's looking at Jesus. He's like, this guy is not guilty. This guy is no insurrectionist. No way, right? And, And But verse 14 says, but he, Jesus, answered him not one word. Another version says, not even a single charge, so that the governor marveled greatly. Another version says that he was astonished. Another version says that he was greatly amazed. So Jesus is not answering the phony charges from the religious leaders because he knows how corrupt they are. He knows that they don't want justice. They just want Jesus dead. Now, this would be in the Roman system of governance. This would be very, very unusual Typically, a prisoner would proclaim his own innocence before the death penalty. Now, you say, well, everybody kind of does that. But in the Roman system, the defendant's response was heavily considered. You were really allowed to plead your own case, to speak up for yourself. 
And but yet verse 14 tells us, but he, Jesus, answered him not a word. And Pilate was amazed. And it's not like like amazed like you idiot, why don't you say something? He's amazed that this guy is so calm. He is, it's really sort of an admiration. And he hates the religious leaders. He hates the he hates all of their yelling. But he's like, man, this guy is like, he's got it all together. Nothing seems to be really bothering him. John Calvin put it this way. God's son stood trial before a mortal man and suffered accusation and condemnation that we might stand without fear in the presence of God. Once again, as we've been saying all along through the events of this week, Jesus is in complete control of the situation. Verse 15, now at the feast, remember it is the Passover, the city's full of people. The governor was accustomed, this was a custom he had, to uh, to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. So the crowd would come and they would gather on that Friday morning and they would be in front of the governor and they would choose a prisoner that they wanted to uh, have released. It was sort of was a gesture of goodwill. Verse 16, and at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, now it could be the crowd is beginning to gather as the day begins, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Uh, Some versions say uh, Messiah, you know, the chosen one. Look at verse 18. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. So Pilate could see right through what was going on. He saw that the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus' popularity. So rather than make a righteous judgment uh, based on the evidence, Pontius Pilate, he originally sent him over to Herod. Herod's like, I don't know, get him out of my sight. And so what does Pilate do? He's going to try and take the cowardly way out. He's like, I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to let the crowd decide. So I'm going to pick the worst hombre in town, Barabbas, and I'm going, to, I'm going to bring him out, and I'm going to put Jesus out, and I'm going to let the people decide. So he's figuring, I will pit the crowd against the religious leaders. You know, the religious leaders are saying, kill Jesus, and, and you know, they're charging Jesus, and you got the crowd here, and I'll pit them against one and the other by offering a choice between Jesus and the notorious prisoner Barabbas. One thing he probably didn't consider was, that, you know, the people didn't know that Jesus was arrested in the middle of the night. You know, news can only spread so fast. So the crowd that is there might be the crowd that is gathering anyway to ask for Barabbas to be released. And so they're already there, and he thinks he's going to pit one against the other, but he's actually helping them to join forces. So just think about it. He's, his logic makes sense. He's He expects that given the choices, well, why wouldn't they pick the new hero, Jesus? I mean, Pilate had spies. He knew that the Sunday before he was coming in and the people were declaring him as the the great Messiah. I mean, here he is, the miracle worker, the Messiah from Galilee. Of course, they're going to pick him. But more than likely, the crowd that is gathering is not the same people. And this crowd is probably from Jerusalem not Galilee. The people that were meeting Jesus the Sunday before was most likely a crowd from Galilee. So for this crowd, Barabbas is probably 
one of their own. Now, Barabbas' name is very, very interesting. It actually means, uh, it's Bar Abba, son of a father. Bar, son, Abba, father. Uh, Some Bible scholars think that he could actually be the son of a famous rabbi because a lot of times they called the rabbi's father. And while most people would think of Barabbas as just a crook or a thief, that was not a capital offense. Here we're told that he was notorious, and that's a word that was mostly associated with being violent. And so it appears that Barabbas is what we might call a local Jerusalem anti-Roman Empire hero. The Gospel of Mark helps us here. Mark writes this, Mark 15, 7 and 8. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just what he had always done for them. What are they saying? They're saying to Pilate, we want Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. Now, let's just think about this for a second, that that Barabbas was chained with his fellow rebels. We do know that there was three crosses out at Calvary, out at the mountain, the skull. Did you know Calvary means skull? Did you know that? That means this is skull chapel you're attending this morning. Okay. (laughs) Welcome to the skull. (laughs) I'm the pastor of the skull. And so, and so just, we know that there was three crosses that were out there by the time Jesus got there. They had already usually put the stake in the ground, and then what they tied the guys to was what they nailed to the cross. So it's very possible that the three crosses were ready for the execution of Barabbas and his friends that day. They were already there. Now think about that. Three crosses. Barabbas, the most notorious, would be in the middle, and his two compadres would be on the other side. But instead, Barabbas comes out of the middle spot, and Jesus is put into the middle spot. Jesus is going to die instead of Barabbas in his place. The amount of detail that God has put into this whole cross in this whole last week of Jesus's life is absolutely amazing. Now, some manuscripts, quite a few actually, say that his name is not Barabbas. That's just sort of a title. His name is actually Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, probably the most common name at that time. You know, you open up your baby book and like, you know, let's name him Jesus. That's number one. And so, and it's possible that some scribes actually deleted Jesus Barabbas, Jesus' name out of it, out of pure reverence for Jesus. We don't know. Yet here and in verse 22, Pontius Pilate distinguishes Jesus who is called Christ from perhaps Jesus who is called Barabbas. So it is certainly possible. Even if it's not a choice between two Jesuses, it's a choice between two saviors, and it is the choice that we face in our country right now. It is the choice between a political savior and an eternal savior. Do I want to ruin the election for you? There will be no political savior. And if there is one, watch out. (laughs) So the crowd is asked, we're all asked, Which Jesus do you want? Do you want the Jesus of the Scripture? 
Or do you want the Jesus that you have created in your own mind? Some people picture Jesus as just this nice kind of guy walking around two feet off the ground. Oh, hello. How are you? Nice to see you. They they think when he flipped over the tables in the temple, he was just having a bad day. When he was snarky with the religious leaders, well, you know, we all have our bad moods or something like that. Other people think that he's just this bigoted, you know, self-righteous guy that and his followers are all the same way. People don't want to investigate the Jesus of the scriptures. They'd much rather the Jesus of their own mind. Or perhaps we might ask ourselves this morning, which son do we want? It's the choice between the son of a father or the son of God, the son of his heavenly father, Jesus Christ, the one who we learned all the way back in chapter 1, who will save his people from their sins. You know, verse 18, when he says, it says that they, it was because of envy, even Pontius Pilate sees the religious leader's excuse. Oh, you know, he's doing this and he's doing that, but he sees what's really going on. If you will, he sees the sin behind the sin. Their sin is envy, but it's manifesting itself in turning Jesus over. And sin is essentially when people want their own way, not God's way. Verse 19, and by the way, that's common to all of us. Verse 19 is something we only find in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, while he, that would be Pontius Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, in other words, she sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that just man. Another version says that innocent man or that righteous man. For I have suffered many things today. Another version says, suffered terribly in a dream because of him. So just picture the scene. There's just massive chaos. Just massive chaos. There, 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 there's Pilate, okay? He's, he's sitting on the, on the judgment seat. And, and so there's, he's wondering what he's got to do. And the people are screaming. The religious leaders are screaming. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of things that they said in a minute. The crowd is screaming, we want Barabbas, okay? He doesn't know what to do. He's thinking, oh my goodness, if, 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 some, you know, if Tiberius thinks I'm too brutal here, I'm going to lose my job. Or if he thinks I'm too lenient, I'm going to lose my job. And he's just confused. He knows Jesus is innocent. He doesn't know what to do. And see, there is, it's ironic. He's sitting on the judgment seat, judging the judge of all, who will judge Caesar. And then somebody walks in and says, hey, Pilate, your wife has a message for you. Like what? What time is breakfast? I mean, what? What What do you mean she has a message for me? Tell her it's a bad time. Oh, it's a bad time. And uh, she says it's urgent. All right, what is it? And so he tells him about her dream. Now to us, dreams, we always think that we just ate too much spicy food before we went to bed or something like that. But but dreams in the ancient world meant a lot. They were considered signs from the gods. So what is this? Is this from the living God? Or, or maybe she heard Jesus before or she woke up when Pilate went out. He told her what was going on. And then she fell back to sleep and went having dreams. We just don't know. But she is correct on the one hand that Jesus is just. That Jesus is innocent. That Jesus is righteous. That means holy, perfectly, and morally pure. 
And Pilate should not be a coward and he should not follow the crowd. On the other hand, she's wrong. She says, have nothing to do with that just man. That's wrong because we should have everything to do with Jesus. We should stop following the crowd, stop following sometimes some of our own inclinations that push us away from Jesus or move us away from Jesus and move up close to him. I wonder if it's possible that she's got that gentle, nagging sensation about Jesus that many people get. You know what I'm talking about? It's just sort of the, we call the Holy Spirit the hound dog of heaven. Just sort of at you and at you and at you. And if that's you today, good for you. You won't win. (laughs) Why don't you just quit before the damage is worse than it already is? Because Jesus has his hooks in you. Verse 20, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes or the crowds that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So like, this is your chance. You can get, forget this guy. Forget this guy. He's a loser, right? Just, just ask for Barabbas and let's get, let's get Pilate to destroy Jesus. Let's get him to execute Jesus. Verse 21, the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, this is the most important question in your life. This is it. This is right here. This is life and death right here in this moment, how you answer this question. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What am I supposed to do with this guy? I mean, look at him. Look at him. What am I supposed to do with him? I mean, I, I've had people all over the place telling me about this guy's doing miracles all over the place. People, people love him. Then he goes up against the self-righteous religious leaders, sends them home with their tail between their legs. I love that about him, he's thinking. I hate those guys. They hate me, I hate them. Jesus hurts them, I'm cheering. Yeah, love this. Now I meet him. <laughs> he's so obviously innocent. And you're telling me to crucify him? What do I do with him? So my hope and my prayer is if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here. My hope and my prayer is that you get snowed in tonight and you have nightmares over that. That it troubles you much. Like, what are you going to do with this guy? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Other version says, crucify him. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? Another gospel version says, I find no fault in this man. Well, that's true. He says, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, the idea is they kept shouting, let him be crucified. Did you notice they didn't answer the question either? He says, what evil has he done? And they go, crucify him. They don't don't even answer the question. Now, some things never change. And I want to particularly, young people, pay attention, please, to listen to an old man, please. Not that old. But pay attention, please. Some things in life never, ever change change. And one of those things is, and you're watching it play out, 
among older people in the United States of America right now. The crowd is told how to think by those who try to manipulate public opinion. Did you hear what I just said? The crowd is told how to think by a relatively small amount of people whose job it is to manipulate public opinion. If you don't believe me, watch what happens when one person in the news media, news, in the opinion media, switches from one station to another. Last week, hardcore conservative. This week, oh, I'm a leftist, right? Or last week, I'm over here, and this week, I'm over here. Depends upon who's signing the paycheck. I'll be whoever you want me to be. And so they're manipulating public opinion. They are willing to take anyone except Jesus. And did you notice, and have you noticed in life, there is always an alternative to take you away from Jesus. Remember in our studies in Jonah, God said, hey, I want you to go over there to Nineveh. So Jonah runs the complete opposite way. And he goes down to the seaport. And he's like, hey, can I get a ship to go even further from God? And like, ships, we got ships galore, man. Oh, it must be from the Lord. (laughs) There's always a ship. There's always going to be something to take you away from the Lord. Jesus is not the Messiah that gives the people what they want. Remember what they wanted? They wanted a Messiah like King David who was going to come and free them from Roman oppression. Yet the choice is the same for all of us. Will we step out of the crowd and follow Jesus? Or, and, and, and you've got to really figure out what that even means because people have perverted that tremendously, what it means to follow Jesus. Or are we going to stay in the crowd, manipulated by the crowd, manipulated by the powerful few, and find ourselves in a Christless eternity? Sadly, they choose a man of violence instead of the Prince of Peace, instead of the man who loves and offers the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. We said before in earlier studies that the religious leaders, they would be so pleased to see Jesus hung on the cross because the book of Deuteronomy says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So they're like, oh, he would be under the curse of God. So they're pleased that he's going to die on a cross. And yet at the same time, Jesus' heavenly father will be pleased because on the cross, he bears our sins. So in an odd moment, both the religious leaders and the father want the same thing but for different reasons. The crowd, they want the kingdom on earth now. They want the Romans out. They want all of their power back. And that's the way it is today. People want things now. The only other option is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And that is the choice that stands before all of us today. John 19, 12 says this. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. He wanted to release Jesus, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. 
Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So, so what's going on there? What are, they, what are they threatening him? You let this guy go, we're going to make sure word gets back to Rome. You let this guy go, we are going to make sure that you lose your job. So here you go, Pilate, governor, powerful guy. Make your choice. Choose your job or choose Jesus. Choose the wrath of Caesar or the wrath of God. He's in between a rock and a hard place, isn't he? And here's the thing, man. Jesus does not let you compromise. He just doesn't. Uh, he, he, he just, he just not gonna, you're not going to be able to stay in between those places for a long time. So Pilate's more perplexed, John 15, 19, 15, a few verses later, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, this is pure sarcasm, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered. They fire back with their sarcasm. We have no king but Caesar. They hated Caesar. They hated him. But in a sense, they are correct. They don't want the king of the cosmos. They want an earthly king. The matter would not be settled by evidence and reason. And isn't that the way it often is? People just follow the crowd. Their, their mind is made up. Don't confuse them with the facts. They just want to, this got like a, you know, a herd of cattle. We're going this way, and this is the way we're going. We, you know, a lot of people say, well, well, how could that many people be wrong? Uh, might I suggest to you, you read a history book once in a while? <laughs> That's still the case today. Few people are open, so few people are open to looking at Jesus perhaps none less open than religious people because their minds are made up. And today the Lord cries out to our country, what will you do with Jesus? And sadly, many cry out, get rid of him. Get rid of him. And that doesn't mean that you're necessarily in a set political party. Because when you study Jesus, you're realizing that he's a raging independent. (laughs) We saw this in the parables. When people don't allow the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to penetrate their hearts, their hearts start to really harden towards God. Verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, Pilate's like, I am not getting anywhere with these guys. But rather that a tumult or a riot was was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. So what's he saying? This one's on you. This one's on you. Now, you really think Caesar, maybe the head of the whole Roman Empire, you really think that's going to fly? Oh, well, they wanted it. (laughs) He's supposed to be in charge. Interesting, you know, he says to it, you see to it. Remember when when Judas tried to return the money to the the religious leaders? That's the same thing they said to, to him. 
They said to Judas, hey, you deal, you deal with the money. That's not our problem. It's your responsibility. So Pilate seems to be getting more and more frustrated that his plan has backfired. So he blames others to ease his conscience. But his conscience isn't eased because you can't remain neutral on Jesus. And so what does he do? He washes his hands, symbolic of, I got nothing to do with this. Here's the thing. You can wash your hands all you want. You can take a shower 19 times a day. Save some water, would you? But you can take a shower as much as you want. But no matter how much you wash yourself, it does nothing for an unclean soul. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash an unclean soul. See, Pilate didn't want to give up his idol. What was his idol? It wasn't, it wasn't you know, just some statue. It was his career. It was his power. It was his paycheck. As soon as they threatened that, he began to give in. And the religious leaders are no different. They're not going to follow Jesus. They, they're large and in charge. They, they want, they're making a lot of money. Remember we said at the temple, ripping people off for the sacrifices and the money exchange and stuff like that. They're not going to give up their position. They're all a bunch of weak phonies. And the truth of the matter is, and this is not always easy for us, that, that an encounter with Jesus reveals what's in our heart. And we can try and cover it up. And we might actually fool other people. But Jesus sees it. I mean, even Pilate saw through what's going on in their hearts. But but we can't fool Jesus. Jesus forces a commitment upon us all. Will we be strong and follow him? Or are we so afraid of what people think that we're even willing to lose our own soul? You remember what Jesus said? What good is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? Verse 25 is a very, very sad verse. It says, and all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And so so clearly the crowd has been totally taken in by the lies of the religious leaders. And And so what happens, the people go, we'll take responsibility. Everybody in the crowd, everybody's out there, we'll take, put his blood be on us. We'll take responsibility. Why would they say that? Because they think there is no responsibility. They're so duped into believing that Jesus has to go. Sadly. This verse has been used to validate anti-Semitism by many people. Many people have used this verse as an excuse to persecute the Jews. Now, this is a group of people talking in one setting about one particular incident. And so they're saying, hey, we'll take responsibility the blood be on us and be on our children. That doesn't mean it's on all Jews. They're taking it upon themselves. 
Yet how awful it is when God's precious word is used for evil. God's word is meant to to draw men and women to Jesus Christ. Not to be manipulated for evil purposes by people who know just enough Bible to make themselves dangerous, but not enough Bible to truly follow Jesus. Now, sadly for them, the Roman army did come in less than 40 years later in 70 AD and destroy Jerusalem. So in a sense, it was prophetic for that generation. Many of the Christians had escaped. Jesus had prophesied what was going to happen. They got out of town, but many of these other people were left behind. So you look at this verse here, and all the people answered and said, if you want a 2,000-year application to this verse, it's this, that all humanity is indicted for their rejection of the Savior King. I mean, everybody's there. The religious leaders are there. The crowd, the Jewish crowd is there. The Romans are going to, the government, the Romans are going to put them on a cross. There's nobody, the world was basically divided into Jew and Gentile. No, no one is really exempt from this. You see, now you might say, well, if I was there, I would have been different. Okay, sure. The apostles, where are they? <laughs> Cockroaches when the light turned on, those guys, man. <laughs> They're out of town. They're like, we're out of here. We're in trouble now. Ultimately, it was, and it still is, the refusal of the human heart to the call of King Jesus and the call of the kingdom that led to the cross of Christ. Yet, even in their words is the gospel. You see, it says, it says that let his blood be on us and our children. Since the blood of Jesus is shed for the forgiveness of sins, it is even available to those who crucify Jesus. Remember what he said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Later on in the gospel accounts, there's a fellow by the name of the centurion, probably the guy who was the leader of crucifying him. And he looks at Jesus and says, surely this man was the son of God. And he, he had, he had crucified thousands of people. And he said, nobody dies like this dude. Nobody. I've never seen anything like this man. Very interesting. The apostles are on trial in Acts chapter 5. And the religious leaders goes, it's like you're trying to put his blood upon us. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you said it. And, and I know a lot of people that hate the fact that they're called sinners. You know, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know that we're sinners, and we actually are so thankful the fact that God would save sinners. But, you know, something I've noticed as, you know, I watch a lot of this political stuff that goes on and, and, and listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff like that, and, and I listen to people that I agree with and people that I don't. And I've noticed that we live in a culture that screams for equality. Absolutely screaming for equality. And you might not like it, but, but what, could, what could be more equal 
than all of us standing at the foot of the cross in need of a savior. Like every single person in all humanity stands in the same place before God. doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, educated, uneducated, young or old. We all stand there. The ground is level. Nobody more special than anybody else. Pure equality that we are sinners in need of a savior and pure equality that that offer is made to every single person. Friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that offer is made to you today. Verse 26. Then he released Barabbas to them and when he had scourged, some of your versions say flogged, the idea is that when they had brutally whipped him, they they took a, a, a whip and they put bone and rock and metal and all kinds of nasty stuff in it and they put Jesus on a post and they were just whipping him and whipping him and whipping. And that's preparing people for the cross. But often people died in the scourging. You could actually see their, the bones in the back of their body. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him or he handed him over to be crucified. Where did he cru- they crucify him? on the cross that was meant for Barabbas. You know, if you've been around Christianity a long time, you've probably heard, uh, well, not from here, but uh, you've probably heard sermons or you've seen movies that has shown the brutality of, of the scourging and the crucifixion. Yet, you listen to the gospel writers, and they're actually brief, almost kind of matter-of-factly about it. Yeah, they scourged him and they delivered him over to be crucified. That's it. That's like it. No, 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 no gory details or anything like that. You get the impression clearly that the, 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 what was really hard for Jesus on the cross was when he yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The separation from his father. We don't know what that really was. People can talk about it and say they know, but they, we really don't know. And, and that seemed to be the difficult part. The beating, well, you know, that was part of it. But that seemed to be the difficult part. It's important to see that the power struggle that's going on here, that the religious leaders and the Roman Empire use their power to destroy Jesus, and Jesus uses his power to save us and to save them. And while he does it, he gives us an incredible gospel picture. Jesus dies instead of Barabbas. Jesus is on that cross as Barabbas' substitute. That's why we say that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, in your place for your sins, that if you're willing to put your trust in him, his life, death, and resurrection will be credited to your account. He gets your sin on the cross And you get his righteousness. So as Calvin said, you can stand before a holy God. What happened that day? What happens every time somebody puts their trust in Jesus Christ? The innocent dies and the guilty goes free. 
God wants us to see that God's judgment for sinners, God's judgment for you and me, fell on Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this account, everyone is guilty except the Christ, except the Messiah, except the Holy One, except the Anointed One, except the One who was chosen by God to offer the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to anyone and everyone who will believe. Yes, my Christian friends, those who have put their, and I, what I mean by that is those who have turned to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ, in this story, we are Barabbas. We are Barabbas. We go free. And Jesus dies on the cross in our place for our sins so we can have eternal life. To my non-Christian friend, let me just ask you that, this question this morning. Listen carefully. Does the same voice that whispered into Pilate's wife's ear whisper into yours that Jesus Christ is the righteous and perfect one and worthy of your trust? Perhaps you heard Pontius Pilate loud and clear today asking the crowd to choose But now, my friend, God asks you to choose. Will you choose Jesus today? Or will you leave this place today the same way you walked in, not knowing your eternal destiny? Choose Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So once again, the innocent dies and the guilty will leave here free. Well, let's stand and pray.